0: Thankful for the way these stories hold on To the lifetime we won't get
1: back welcome to Kankakee podcast I'm Jake Lamour and uh, this is a special uh, episode because it is Memorial Day so we're supposed to be honoring the soldiers that we we lost in, in combat in battle A lot of people always get that mixed up with you know obviously Veterans Day where you honor veterans that are alive but we all know Memorial Day is about veterans that have fallen now this episode isn't particularly about, a veteran who died in combat, but it's still about, um, a, a veteran. So I, I figured at least that would be close enough, you know, kind of, it's still almost a way to pay homage to the people we did lose in battle. Um, so th- this is the first episode I'm recording where we're not in, uh, the studio. We're on location in Moments, um, uh, out on the outskirts of Moments actually. And it's a beautiful day. And I am out with Seth Berkey. I'm out at Seth Berkey's house, and he invited me over because this was once the home of Colonel um, Colonel. Yes, yeah, I, was, yep, I don't know. I was second guessing uh, Castler Colonel Castler. Yes, and I I remember seeing the the article in the paper a paper about Castler when mm-hmm. the memorial was coming up. I do remember that when you, that was what, 2018? Yes. Yep. Fall of 2018. Okay. Um, so uh, like, I, I barely know that much about Kassler. I just know, like he did all these incredible things, but I don't know what those things are. So I was thrilled when you reached out about, you know, doing an episode. So, um, so yeah, welcome. Seth, and I, first, before we get into Kassler, because obviously that's why we're here, uh, I, I want to know a little bit more about you. So where did you come from? Sure.
0: Yeah, I'd, so I've been in the area, we were talking a few minutes ago, I've been in the area since about 2003. Uh, I went to Olivet Nazarene University, where I met my wife, Mary.
1: So are you from Michigan? I'm a from... Lot of- a lot of grads from Olivet. That's right, and even students are from Michigan. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of the old joke at Olivet. You kind of look back at it
0: now, and you kind of put the hand to the head. But uh, a lot of people would hold their hand up and be like, "Where are you from?" On the Michigan hand. Fortunately, I was not a part of that group. I uh, not that Michigan's a bad state. No, it's not. It's uh, not. It's a beautiful state. I am from a small river town in Missouri, Hannibal, Missouri.
1: Okay. Home of Mark Twain. Yeah. That's what Uh, I was going to say. Isn't that where Mark Twain's from? Absolutely.
0: So I I grew up, uh, primarily, uh, my family had been there since 1999. So, oh, okay. So I, uh, we had kind of lived all over the place before that, but I say home is Hannibal, Missouri. It's a great little river town and, uh, graduated high school in 2003, came to Olivet and, uh, I've been in the area Ever since. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is my, I, a lot of college grads end up settling where they sure. went to, to college. I Absolutely. know that's very popular, or at least it once was, I don't know if that's the case anymore, but I know a lot of, because yeah. they end up getting jobs. Like, I don't know if like your first job in, uh, out of college was in, you know, the Kankakee area, but I'm guessing it probably was.
0: So that, right? so that I actually worked in Mokina, which okay. is. Just a little bit north. Yeah. But that was out of necessity. Uh, My wife and I, at the time, we were kind of semi-dating. Uh-huh. And she was like, listen, she was a couple (laughs) years behind me. She's like, listen, you're going to graduate. You're going to go off and do other things. This relationship probably is not worth pursuing. Oh, no. If we're going to be long distance. So I went into, like panic mode and I'm like I have to find something back in this area (laughs) to to, you know to keep this relationship so I uh, called a couple buddies and I went into uh, I got the first job I could get and that was with Enterprise Rent-A-Car oh and I I did that up in, I drove from I got a little apartment in Bourbon A off a career center okay and Bethel yeah and then I commuted up to Mokina every single day and I did that for I think about 90 days and another opportunity presented itself. And I, I got into the work that I do now, which is in medical device. Okay. And you're like, thank God. Yeah, no, it it was, it was a really good learning experience of what I did not want to do with the rest of my life. (laughs) And not that enterprise is a bad gig. There, there are a lot of friends I had that did incredibly well. They were just, what I didn't care for were the like hundred degree days where you're full suit and you're responsible to clean and wash the cars, like when they come in and, and so, but foundationally getting a, a a base and how sales work and how business works, it was a great training program, right. but ultimately it wasn't the- uh, It wasn't the long... biology.
1: That's right. <laughs> and that's what my
0: background is in biology and chemistry <laughs> at Olivet. So it was kind of a, a deviation from that. And then I yeah. kind of got back on the train. So. Yeah.
1: I don't know if, um, if you can hear like the background noises, but there's birds chirping because we're sitting out on this uh, screened-in porch, which is just absolutely beautiful, just looking at all the- uh the grass that was once part of the golf course which yes. we'll we'll get into but you might hear some cows too <laughs> mooing so i just wanted to quickly just kind of emphasize that yes we are outdoors if you can perhaps hear like where the heck are they you know <laughs> we're out yeah we're outside on this uh this screened in porch um so you you went to college at Olivet graduated there you've been here ever since mm-hmm. so when it came time for you and your wife to buy, uh, uh, was it your first home or was is this your first home this, or was a new home? This was
0: our, our first home. Uh, we lived in St. Anne on some farm property in an old 1800, kind of a rental property. Mm-hmm. And we lived there for about three years together. Okay. And we had decided that when we went to go buy home, that was going to be the one that we wanted to, to be kind of our forever home. Yeah. So we had scoured the area. We worked with a real estate agent. We looked all over Moments, Grant Park, A, kind of all over the area. I think we looked at 20 something homes. And That's my, a lot. <laughs> my work by nature is always, I've done quite a bit of travel. So commuting for me is, I, I've worked downtown Chicago. I now work for a company in California. So I'm always all over the place. So it really didn't matter where, you know, to me, where we lived. So We ended up looking at 20 something homes and we were just kind of had the home fatigue and couldn't agree on what we wanted in a home. (laughs) And so our realtor was like, Hey guys, I have one more place. I want you to check out. It's in moments and, uh, it's kind of got kind of a cool backstory with it. Why don't we go take a look? So we're like, yeah, absolutely. Because at that time we had narrowed it down to three homes. So follow the realtor, we come out and we we pull in the property and as, as you pulled in, it's a it's a big circle drive. The house kind of sits back off of the road a little ways, and it just it has this really calming vibe uh, when you pull in. And we just kind of talked, We were talking in the car when we pulled up, and we're like, "Hey, this this place is really cool." Get out of the car, walk up the porch, open the front door, and step inside. And it was instantaneously, we we kind of glanced at each other and just simultaneously agreed, this is
1: it. Yeah. Like
0: we didn't even have to do the, the tour of the whole house before we realized that this place had something that we were both drawn to. Uh, and then, you know, a couple days later, uh, a realtor would tell me the name of, of Colonel Jim Cassler and associated with the home. And, and so I'm, I'm a big book nerd. I'm, I was that kid that read encyclopedias, like when <laughs> yeah. I was like
1: eight, 10 years old. Right, I remember going over to my grandparents' house and they had a set of encyclopedias yeah. and I was always fascinated with those too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so my first instinct was to, to look Colonel Castler up, get my hands on as much information as I could to kind of understand the story. And cause you had not heard about I had, him I, before. I had heard, the interesting thing was the prior year, I remember there being a, and this is one of my biggest regrets I remember there being a memorial service at the Centennial Chapel at Olivet. Okay. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And I remember I didn't have much going on and it was kind of a thing in the back of my head before I knew any, anything about any of this, I was like, it sounds like a pretty big deal because they were pulling in. uh, There was, there was talk of John McCain being there and I was like. It sounds like someone really cool from this area. Maybe, you know, maybe I should go check it out.
1: Was he actually there? McCain? He did not make it there, but oh, he did okay. a, there was I was going to say, I don't remember hearing about him
0: being in the area. There yet. was a, he did a video. Um, I saw a clip of that. Yeah, video. exactly. Yeah. So I regret not having just kind of on a hunch gone and check that out because I would, having watched that retrospectively, I kind of sit and still, uh, you know, get goosebumps watching that memorial service and wish that I would have been there. But it was one of those things I just didn't, I hadn't, I would have never known that I was going to be purchasing his home, you know, a year or a couple of years later. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, yeah, I'm sure,
1: can't remember where, where I was headed. So with you were talking about how you regret, you know, regretted not going to that memorial but you were getting your hands on That's right. trying to get more information about Colonel Castle. That's
0: right. And so I was, I was just trying to um, digest and, and download as much stuff as I could. And, and so then I found out there was, uh, there was a book about him. And our, our realtor actually, went, at our closing date, gave us a copy of his book, okay. Tempered Steel. So I, I read that book immediately. And this was a book that he wrote or someone else wrote? This was a book him. by uh, two authors. Um, it was Buyer B-U-Y-E-R, and um, Luckett, I think. And they were, one was an Air Force officer who was, uh, uh, had transitioned into an author. And the other guy was obviously an author as well. But they had, they had known Jim Kassler and they were at part of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And so the, it's, it's really, it's, it's a biography uh with snippets of of Jim talking about personal statements and things like that toward the end of the book but it's it's basically an, an exhaustive history of the three wars that he was in and and some of the incredible the incredible things that he accomplished and endured and, and rose above and came out head and shoulders ab- ab- above everybody else so r- fantastic book we had a couple of of smaller items in the crawl space that I wanted to make sure we're not left um, without the family, you know, knowing that they were here. And so they were There were just a couple of things that when I talked to uh, his widow, Martha, she had said, you know, everything that that we have that is truly important and the things that we all wanted to hold on to. We have those. Everything else is either in the Pentagon, the Smithsonian, the Indiana War Memorial, and Wright Patterson Air Force Base in in Ohio, and so I was like, okay, so I need <laughs> I need to go see what all this all yeah. this stuff well, is. If you
1: don't mind me asking, what were the things you found? If you if you're allowed to, I don't know what. Yeah, so so really, it was it was a box
0: of um. There were a couple of I don't know if you remember back in Vietnam for the POWs, there were these metal bracelets, and they were essentially these malleable thin bracelets that would have the POW's name on them. And what people would do is they would they would wear them in support for the prisoners of war. And uh, eventually what ended up happening after these guys were released almost 7 years later, um people would then send them to that POW uh as okay. like hey I've I've been wearing this for the last 7 years, you know, wel- welcome home and and so we had a couple of those and then there were some there were some uh, some letters from there was a a couple correspondents from the Pentagon and from uh, Robinson Risner who a Risner who was a highly highly decorated uh, brigadier general in the in the United States Air Force and some letters commending him on some achievements in the airspace and so some documentation like that some very small stuff. And uh, then some, just some old photos and, and a couple uh, models. And then what I was able to do after that, once my appetite was set, (laughs) I was like, I have to get my hands on absolutely everything I can to learn about this story. And so you would be surprised some of this stuff, like photos from the AP that were taken in like the sixties, you can get those like the actual like original prints. You can. So really. I obtained, and, and we'll see when we go look through some of the stuff later. Yeah. Uh, I obtained uh, some original prints from like 1966, uh, shortly after he was shot down, that were taken in North Vietnam. Um, some prints of him in the in the Vietnam era and the Korean War so a lot of those things, if you dig deep enough and you follow a bunny trail long enough, you can, you can, that stuff is accessible. So I was able to collect some of that. And then locally I worked with, uh, moments has a great, uh, heritage and a lot of great people who are interested in the history of moments. Yes. Well, his um,
1: moments has so much history Yeah, as you know, so Absolutely. it's, it's there, there, um, uh, they're um, Historical society or whatever you want to call them is great. That's right. Yeah. And
0: so uh, Nancy Porter, who runs kind of the Graham Historic House, that district right there with the Graham Historic House, the Ed Schaffner Museum, um, Nancy we kind of connected because she, she was very close with the Colonel and had been a part of the golf course for a long time. And she saw what I was trying to do and we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Yeah. And she just kind of said, what, whatever, however I can help, whatever I have, she invited me over to the Graham historic house and she had some really cool stuff. And so she kind of said, listen, you're, you're taking this on as a new chapter of how we want to tell the colonel's story, take this stuff care for it, you know, and when, when we do these things where we talk about it or uh, I appear at like a a society, historical society meeting or something, I have all of the stuff to to paint a really cool picture of the Colonel. So it's kind of, it was sparked initially by, Hey, we bought a really cool home with a really cool backstory and it's just been an unending uh, trip of finding out more and more, every single year. And, and there's always something new I find out that fits into the, the puzzle of the story. So,
1: yeah. I mean, just like you said, walking in the door, I kind of felt what you just mentioned a couple minutes ago about there was a, like a feeling, yeah. you know, or even actually before you even walk in the door, the the driveway, you know, or, yeah. or, or driving down the road and and like seeing, I, I, could, I could totally see where the, the golf course was. And obviously that was a big part of of Castler as well. Sure. So it was just, uh, there was just something about, it. I'm like, wow, this is out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. i like, this is really cool. <laughs> this yep. is really cool. Um, so you, you find this stuff in the crawl space, which it, that would have triggered me too, by the way, yeah. I would have been like, man, I got to know more about this guy, you yep, know, get, absolutely get, get me all the information you possibly can. So from then on, um you you got a hold of his family what what i'm curious about is you mentioned Kassler has kids yes I'm surprised none of them wanted yeah, I think the the house th- oh or, wanted the
0: house yeah, so there was a there was an interesting time, so Colonel Kassler passed away in two thousand and fourteen, and there was a a younger couple kind of around my age and my wife's age that actually purchased the home
1: from the castlers oh so you're not the first correct okay and
0: they he was planted here i think from texas he was a higher up at new Corp steel he had come in to kind of work in the area and then i think after five four or five months he got a new assignment and it was on to the next oh wow um, and so some of those things that were still in the crawl space that owner had found and had just kind of brought it brought it to light that hey this stuff is, is in a box here and it it was literally like a, a very it wasn't like it was uh you know a ten huge pounds box. of items it was just a, it, <laughs> right it was, it was a enough things. a couple things to really kind of get the wheels turning into i need to look more into this and and, and again that's when it clicked when i looked up the name because if you google jim Castler. You, you'll read for hours. I mean, it's... Yeah, I did that it, so this morning, and it, you know, just, it's, to, just to look a little bit before exactly. you know, I came out here. And that's when the light kind of uh, clicked or the, uh, that I had missed his memorial service, you know, that year, that two years prior. So I was like, that is who that was. I cannot believe I missed that. And then I, you know, you go into downtown Moments and you go out toward the schools. And in front of, I think it's the high school, there is a veterans memorial there with a bronze statue. That's a statue of Colonel Castler. Uh so there have been a couple things locally. Uh, obviously he he's a well-known, an incredibly well-known guy. Uh, but what I have found more interesting is that as I kind of dove into the project, which which we can talk about absolutely, uh as I broke into doing that, I realized how many people still haven't heard the name. And even
1: Yeah. I didn't hear about the name until you were featured in the Daily Journal, whatever it was in the last couple of years. I had never known about it. And I think my coworker had mentioned something about it too. And she's like, you've never heard of Castler? I'm like, no. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of the most gratifying things is when you, when I am
0: a part of like Moment's Heritage Day or uh, another event and I get to set up everything and tell his story, you kind of get people that, they could just kind of stand there in shock and awe. And they're like, this guy lived in moments. And I never, never knew about it. Never knew the name, never knew the story. So, so that is really at the end of the day, what I felt my responsibility was almost, um, you know, as keeper of the story, you know? So, and, and where that all sparked from, I remember the day it was July 23rd, 2016. We had been in the home about eight months. It was a Saturday. I was at home and I remember it was scorching hot. It was one of those days is like, I am not going outside today for anything. (laughs) So I was inside. AC was cranked. My wife wasn't home at the time. It was just me by myself. And uh, I'm sitting upstairs just doing some reading or, or doing some work and the doorbell rings which is really uncharacteristic for where, we, because our doorbell hardly ever rings because if we,
1: well, you're in the country. Exactly. You know, whose and doorbell rings in the country. That's not, right. Not very often.
0: That's absolutely right. And if it, if it's somebody we know, they just, you know, kind of come in or knock on the door. So the doorbell rang and I was like, Oh, interesting. And it, I didn't see a FedEx truck. I didn't see right, you you know, know you look for it, some of like delivery that. Truck, I look yeah. out and I see this, it, it was like a, a silver. It was, I think it was like a Taurus or something but I, I kind of peer through the blinds that are right next to the door. And it was this great figure, very tall gentleman. I could tell he was elderly, open the door and pull it back. And, and he's got a, a Vietnam veterans cap on some old blue jeans and a shirt. And he's standing there holding tempered steel, which is the book about Colonel Casler. Okay. And, He introduced himself and and again, this is one of my other regrets. I I don't remember the name. I I didn't get a picture with the guy, but he introduces himself and he says, Hey son, uh, I'm, I'm from so-and-so he had driven, I think it was like three or 400 miles. And he said, I'm here. I would like the Colonel to sign my book. Oh no. And he had driven, he had been driving a tank on the ground supporting missions for the colonel. And I think it was the Vietnam war. So, so this guy
1: worked under Colonel Castler.
0: They, so they were probably different. So Colonel Castler was a part of the air force, right? This gentleman was probably army. Oh, okay. Um, so different divisions, but a lot of times, um, I think, and I, I'm, I've never been a part of the military, so I, I don't want to get anything incorrect or, but I, I would assume just from your knowledge, right yeah. from my knowledge base, I th- I think that sometimes those operations would work in tandem where some ground support or ground fire
1: was provided for coverage of another operation. That makes sense because I feel like there was a lot of that because they're, you know, these guys are getting ambushed on the ground and they're calling for, you know, the, exactly, the, air, the air force support. to come. Right. That's right. Yeah. And so he explained
0: to me that he had he'd been driving a tank, and and he had worked on a couple missions where he was providing uh, some support for Colonel Kessler while he was flying a mission. And so I, at this point, I am holding back the biggest lump in my throat. Yeah, right. Because I am now I have to kind of break the information, break the news that a. The colonel is no longer with us and B, you know, he doesn't live here. So luckily at that time, and this was even early on, eight months into the home, I had created kind of the front sitting room at our house. I, I called it Castler's Corner. And I found a couple things that I could put up so that when people came over, I could just kind of introductorily tell the story. Mm hmm. So I felt horrible. I had to tell the break, the news of the gentleman. And it was just, it, again, just holding back this lump because you could see kind of the excitement just kind of drain from his eyes and from his face. So I said, why, so why don't you come in? Uh, let me show you something. And I had, I shown I had shown him a couple of things that I had from the Colonel. And I just started to talk with him, what I knew about him. And for the next two hours, this guy sat and told me story after story, after story. And it was one of those times where I was in a place, uh, so many goosebumps and, and so many thoughts. I didn't even think to ask his name. I didn't even think to, to get a picture with him. I didn't, the, those things were like the last thing on my radar <laughs> because I was in this like you're so in tuned.
1: moment. Yeah. You're so in tuned with what he's telling exactly.
0: you. Exactly. And so, after that experience on that day, he left and I just kind of sat there for a couple hours and I'm just like digesting the whole conversation and mulling everything over. And I'm like, man, I have to do something to keep this like I I, I this story is so incredible. I can't just like live here and not be a part of it and and, and keep it going. So fortunately, right around that same time, uh the golf course, which South Shore Golf Course, one of the oldest golf courses in the Kankakee area. I think it's been here since about 1921 or 22.
1: Oh, wow. So I didn't see for some reason the the impression that I got was – Kessler created it but he didn't no he he redid so it was originally i think a nine
0: hole golf course okay and he finished it uh helped finish it into an 18 hole okay and then he kind of redesigned a lot of the holes and and put replaced some bunkers and he kind of tailor made it to what he wanted it to be which is an interesting story about that too
1: (laughs) right there's obviously in how he wanted to do that but
0: so the golf course has been here a really long time but it's not, obviously it's not here anymore. Yeah, it is yeah. no longer a golf course. And right around the same time I had this experience with this gentleman in my living room talking about the Colonel, I had just found out that the the owner of the golf course at that time, uh, was putting it up for sale and, you know, small town people, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about what's going to happen to the course or what they speculate on what's going to happen. And for me, the last thing I wanted to happen was it to be kind of bulldozed and turned into a bean field or a cornfield. And there's so many, I mean, you can look out here it's so many beautiful trees that are yes, so old. And that's what I noticed too. And we have, you know, deer and turkeys and foxes. And I mean, every single day of the week, there's so much beautiful wildlife out here. And I was just like, man, I, I don't want to see that happen. And B, if I can figure out a way to keep the kernel story going and tie that to the golf course since it was such a big part of his life. Uh, you know, let's see what we can do. So I started looking into it and, and fortunately we found out that, um, we were able to parcel off. So we, we purchased 10 acres of the golf course and included in that 10 acres was, uh, partially hole number four, which the green of hole number four is on the front of our property. And then partially hole number five, which is this really long par five. So what was cool about the green, getting the green of hole number four is it's propped up. It's an, what we call in golf, an elevated green. So it's kind of sitting above everything else around it. And I just, in my mind, the first thing I thought of was like a memorial or, or something we could do would sit beautifully right on top of that where that green was because it's down at the front of the property it's accessible to the public and it'd be a beautiful spot so after that day i was i was all in uh we we bought the 10 acres we made that happen and then we started putting together how we wanted to do the memorial project and so again i i met so many people locally that that knew the colonel and and wanted to be a part of it one of my biggest supporters was Denny Merrick. Uh, he's been an attorney in, in Kankakee for a very long time. Um, he knew the colonel extremely well. They were very close. But he said, hey, if I can be of any assistance, you know, let, let me know what I can do. So he provided some incredible stories, a lot of information. And uh, so we, we kicked the project off and, and we wanted to raise X amount of dollars. And we got about halfway there and then we just wanted to make it happen. So, you know, uh, my wife and I said, okay, we're, we're just going to do the rest of this. So about half of it, we raised and we put the ha- rest of it together ourselves. And, uh, we just made this, this really cool memorial happen. And I remember one of the craziest things I had seen an Eagle somewhere. Uh, it's like a bronze statue of an Eagle lifelike, very large statue. And I was, I was like, that would be perfect for for what we want to do so i get on the internet and i look up and i see the cost of this thing, (laughs) and i'm like you gotta be kidding me that's unreal yeah so i had also known that at riverside part of the part of the colonel story uh riverside was he was involved in a lot of the boards over there. So the senior living board, he was on, I think, the financial committee, very close with the Riverside uh,
1: Foundation. That must have been where my boss had met him, I bet. Yeah. I almost wondered, Tim Milner. I bet that because oh, okay. I believe Tim is on the Riverside Foundation sure. board. He was, he's on one of the boards. Yep. I bet that's probably where I'm sure where that's he, where they met then. Yeah. Uh,
0: so I went, I set up a meeting with Phil Cambic, and he-, he sat down he's absolutely, you know at, for Jim Castler you tell me what you you know let's 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 talk about it <laughs> yeah so we had the conversation and what's crazy was he i i had known this if you go around the to the actual riverside of riverside hospital there's a little walkway back there yeah i've seen that and there is an eagle on the river it's a bronze statue of an eagle and it was like that's so crazy because that is the that's the statue of the one that I had looked up and I was like, that's exactly what I had in mind. And so I was, and it, it's dedicated to Colonel Casler there. Okay. So I had brought that up to Phil and I was like, Hey, so this is kind of what I'm looking at. I said, I had looked this thing up online. I didn't realize, you know, it's, it's, it would be perfect for what we're trying to do. And he said, well, let me, um, he said, thanks for coming in. And you told the whole story. And he said, let me, let me get back to you. Calls me like two days later. And he says, Hey, Seth, Uh, Phil, listen, when we did that Eagle for Colonel Kassler, we had initially intended to put two on the property and we have another one that's sitting in storage (laughs) that we haven't used for years. You're welcome to have it. And I was just like, oh my goodness. I mean, elation. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, uh, it, it just worked out wow Uh, unbelievably well and so we went in a we arranged it had a couple buddies of mine we went and picked it up and and uh we installed it and we had uh worked with arts landscaping on doing the whole stuff for the memorial but um that the way that that everything kind of came together and there are a hundred different little stories like that where people wanted to get involved and they they made it happen so it was a a really really cool thing Mm -hmm. um but yeah, and, and at some point we got to talk about uh, the Colonel's service too, because I mean, <laughs> this is like so th- this story is really cool. But like what he did and what he was a part of, and and what he endured and what he went through, that is where the story's at.
1: Right. Well, let's let's go to you know you when you first you first found those few items in the crawl space, you were made aware of those. You contacted his wife, Martha. She said, uh, you know, we've got what we wanted and then you know you go into your your research google search mode trying to find out everything you possibly can and so obviously that's when you started to learn his story so what do you know about his his time his service i mean we we we've just touched on a little bit he was in three major wars exactly which is incredible yep because by the time you know like the That gentleman that came to your house that was from Vietnam, I mean, probably at that time getting to work with Colonel Kassler, he probably knew like he probably had already heard about him because, oh, he was well known from the previous two wars. So that that was part of
0: his uh, what they called the special treatment when he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He was already a very well-known pilot. Uh, so kind of backing up to, to his service. So he, uh, three major wars at 18 years old, he was a tail gunner on a B 29 super fortress. And, and he, I think they flew, I want to say he was seven or eight missions over Japan. Okay. I was wondering if it was Japan. Yep. So he, he's kind of started out in the service then. And he's, he was born in South bend, Indiana. So he's an Indiana guy. And that's why if you ever get an opportunity Indiana War Memorial.
1: Is that in South Bend or where that's is that? in, in Indianapolis. Indiana. Okay.
0: Right downtown. It's the it's a building that almost kind of looks like the Washington Monument. It's a it's a really tall, vertical building. Really cool goat. You could spend a whole day there. And there's a, a Vietnam hall, and he's got a pretty significant part of that Vietnam Hall. And that's where all of his medals and, and stuff like that are. So that's that's a really cool thing to see. So he's an Indiana guy. Um At that time in World War II, the Air Force had not been created as its own division. It was the Army Air Force. So it was part of the Army. So he was a tail gunner on a B-29, flew through World War II, and then moved into the Korean War in the early 50s. And so that's when he started really uh, kind of getting recognized for his talents and and skills as a fighter pilot. Okay. And most interestingly enough, so today is uh, May 16th, May 15th of 1952, he became the 15th jet ace of the korean war for the united states so to become a jet ace those guys had to have uh, their opponents were the the mig-15 fighter jets so they had to shoot down five of those uh to become an ace and so he became the 15th ace on the 15th day of may (laughs) wow in 1952 shooting down the mig-15 huh uh so it's uh, pretty cool to look back on that so he he became a well-known pilot in the korean war he flew the uh f86 saber jet um which you know I, I was able to find a model of one of those and kind of add that to the collection so that people could kind of no, identify like with what, that what like those... they
1: could see what he flew exactly That's cool. um so i'm so i'm guessing I, I was just thinking about the the time between you know world war Two ending and the Beginning of Korean War, he must have at that time. I, I don't know, like when the Air Force officially became the Air Force, but did he? He must have, yeah, enlisted into the, like the the legitimate Air Force at that yes, time after were, World War
0: II ended. Or and I feel I, I should know that uh, that date on when the Air Force became its own entity, but. There was a time, uh, and again, it's great to read his book. I've got a copy of it for you, by the way. Oh, <laughs> um, wonderful. Thank it's you. It's great to read his book because you get the whole story. But there was a time where he, between World War II and the Korean War, I believe he went back uh, and completed his degree. And so there was there was a little bit of time there where he wasn't in active duty.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, you've got yeah. what? It ended in 45. Yep. And Korean, 51 or 52. I was going to say 51 or 52 yeah. for Korean War. So. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, he
0: had, he met Martha in that time as well and got married and started a family. So um, there was a little bit of a, of a gap there in his service. So the Korean war is where he you know became known as a jet ace and then had moved around to different, he was, you know, involved in the cold war a little bit, which was a little, not as big a, a you know, a deal as world war II and the Korean war. But so there was some time in Europe, And so he kind of popped around to these different Air Force bases and training and flight schools and stuff like that. And then in 1966, he went and uh, volunteered to join the efforts in Vietnam. And so at that time, I think his rank was not colonel in 1966, uh, but he again, was a well-known guy. And so he started flying a bunch of missions over North Vietnam. So that's when his, his story really, really kind of picks up. And, and so it was June, I want to say it was June 29th. And again, I should have these dates in front of me to specify June 29th, 1966. He, uh, led an attack on the Hanoi. They called him the P O L It's petroleum, oil, and lubricant fields. And these were essentially big petroleum fields of of how they were supplying their tankers. So he led this this attack on those fields uh, from an aerial bombing. And it was one of the most, and some sources credit it as the most successful bombing mission of the Vietnam War. Wow. And so uh, it's really cool to read about that whole thing because uh, of The way that he helped plan that and the way he led that, that attack and under fire and flowing, flying so low to the ground and, and what they went through to make that attack successful, that was what he earned his first, uh, Air Force Cross for. Okay. So... And just to put that in perspective, and, and we'll talk about awards and kind of his decorations, but one of the I, th- I would say the thing that Jim Castler is known most for is the Air Force Cross. So when you look at decorations and awards, obviously everybody knows about the Medal of Honor. That's like the highest award any service member of of any branch of the military can earn. Just beneath that is the Air Force Cross. Um, and I think there's a Navy cross. And so for each branch of the military, that, that is like right below the medal of honor. So when you look at the air force cross, I think, uh, over the years, I want to say maybe like 200 men had been awarded an air force cross. Six men had been awarded two and Jim Kassler stands alone in history with three. (laughs) That's
1: incredible. So in in each. So did he earn all three of these in Vietnam? Yes, they were. Because the... I when I first read that, I figured, oh well, if the guy was in three wars. Yeah, like it one must per have war. Been, you yeah. know, I I thought maybe he was spanned out. Yeah, you know? no, this
0: was this was all from a period of 1966 to 1973. So his first Air Force Cross was that Hanoi, uh, the the POL airstrike. The second Air Force Cross came in. On August 8th, 1966, so just a, a little less than a month later, maybe two or three weeks, he was on a, a, a mission, on another bombing mission. His wingman, a guy named Fred Flom, had taken fire and was shot down. And so, again, Kassler, and what's crazy to, to look back on these guys that flew these, these jets, these guys are flying at six, five, six hundred 600 miles an hour. And a lot of times there, this air combat was happening 50 to 100 feet above the ground. And, and you talk about margin for error is absolutely zero. Yeah, exactly uh, at so, that point. So when you, you dig and you actually see what these guys were doing, it, it's unreal that any of those guys made it out of those situations. So his wingman was shot down. Kassler saw him eject and saw where he landed. And he was running low on fuel. So he called in uh, kind of like the, the air support recovery team to kind of provide cover. So low on fuel, Castler flies even lower and starts peppering everything he can to provide cover for his downed wingman. Does it until the last possible second where he knows he has to turn around and refuel. So he actually, he, he gets refueled, flies back out to provide more cover and relocate his his wingman and that is the moment when he was his his cabin filled with smoke and he realized that he was hit so again that was august 8th 1966 coincidentally his his daughter suzanne's birthday um and you know because she has told that story where she'll she'll always remember that day um so he realizes he's been hit he he tries to control the aircraft he tries to you know gain altitude and kind of get out of that situation but he realizes it's it's going nowhere fast and so one of the other crazy things is when you read about what these guys did when these guys ejected from their aircrafts it was not an elegant Safe, right? They make it reproducible. Look, yeah, like it, it was not the a pleasant it experience. Look so, yeah, it's and just
1: smooth. It's like a James Bond film. Oh it's my like word! No big so, deal.
0: So many of these guys are injured, and what, what's really incredible to think about, and and I don't want to uh, be too graphic or anything, but when he ejected from his jet, he had this immense, searing pain. I, th- I believe it was on the right side of his body, his, his right leg. And he didn't realize at the time that between his his um, his speed, uh, I think they called it a speed gear, um, there were a couple mechanisms that bunched together and and pressed up against his leg.
1: Okay, so when he was ejected, that so was in he, the way.
0: That's right. As he ejected, he he's in his chute. He's coming down, and he has this in, uh, unbelievable pain down his right leg. Doesn't realize that he's fractured his femur in half just above the knee, and his leg is essentially it's hanging just, there, supportless. Yeah, and he feels he's like checking himself, and he feels this hard lump in his abdomen, and it is—it's the head of his femur. So your 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 hip is a ball and socket joint, and and the ball is the head of the femur it had broken and jammed itself up into his abdomen and so this this is before he was even tortured before he I was even this was captured I mean, this, this was this was before he was even captured i mean this was like step 1 ejection this happens right away oh man so it's like unreal i mean i just can't imagine uh, the pain tolerance or or what your mind is going through or your resolve to get out of a situation like well, that.
1: Well, and let alone, well, so that happens first, then I'm assuming the capture comes next, right? Yes. Yeah, so he, he landed, he was captured,
0: he was uh, taken to a, a prison camp. And what was interesting was, I don't remember the lag in time of what, how long it took them to realize who he was. But once they realized who he was, he was sent for they called the special treatment. treatment. And so he was right in at the Hanoi Hilton where he was with John McCain. He was with Bud Day, he was with James Stockdale. He was now with... did
1: McCain have the special treatment too yes, at that time?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Because I I think because of McCain, his his father was a, a really well known admiral in the United States Navy. And so he even, and there's some, some video footage of McCain is Vietnam, the prisoners of war. It was all about getting those guys on video and and making these propaganda films. And they basically were trying to get them to renounce the United States and say, listen, this war should be over. You know, we're, we're suffering over here. Um, Or, you know, a lot of times they wanted them to tell them they're treating us well you know, that's interesting. And and so what ended up happening was, um, I think it was, I don't want to get the, I know the last name was Denton. I think maybe John Denton, he was a service member when he was on one of these films and being interviewed, he blinked the word torture in Morse code. And that's kind of what set off the, you know, the signals and alerts that there were some other things going on in Vietnam that they, they kind of weren't privy to at that point. So these guys were being tortured. Castler was taken to the Hanoi Hilton and he was there for six and a half years. Three of those years, he was routinely tortured and some of the torture that they would do things, uh, what they would call the ropes and irons and basically put these guys in positions that were unimaginable contort their bodies in unimaginable ways all for the effort of just to get them to say, I surrender, uh, renounce my country, you know, all these things that they were, that they were trying to do. And, uh, so Casler was doing all of this on top of this insane leg injury. I was going to say, did they, did they, they treat operate, him? They did. They treated him, uh, after, I think it was after a couple days, they, they treated his leg. He had surgery on it. And because of so many infections and they they never really closed up the wound, he had he developed it's uh, what's called osteomyelitis, and it's basically just a bone infection, and it's a really difficult infection to control and and treat so in his in his six and a half years there, he struggled with this crazy infection in his leg. They would come in and they would they would beat him with the what was called a fan belt. And, and it is, and again, I, I would highly recommend reading his book because you get true insight to his personal story. And there was about a three-day period where he went, he went through food deprivation or starvation, no water, and they would come in every hour on the hour for three days and beat him with a fan belt. And he says that he could remember standing up and, and skin is just hanging off his backside down to the floor. And, th- and I just, you know, when you read that your, your stomach sinks, but you're also, you're just like, how can someone go through that and, and not break? And so that's, that's when he has a really cool section in his book where he talks about, uh, the idea of pride, the idea of honor and and this idea of resolve, like what, what we're capable of mentally. And so ultimately he, he was 40 something years old at this point. I think he was 41 or 42. So
1: yeah, he's not, yeah, he's he's not spry. Right. As I mean, not that a 41 year old man isn't spry, but you know, I mean.
0: And so he, uh, there was at one point where he had been tortured for three days and he's laying on this cold, dark floor and he's like, what is a 40 something year old man doing here laying on this floor, letting these people beat the life out of me. I, I I can make this go away real fast if I just tell them what they want to hear. Uh, I I take away all the unending anxiety of every night of, or every hour when they're going to come back in. And ultimately, he just decided he couldn't do it because he had to come to terms with himself. Uh, you know, United States of America, would they forgive him? Absolutely, for, forgiving country. He he mentions in in his book, would his family forgive me? Absolutely. That nobody had any clue of what they were going through, and, and he also mentions in the book, would God forgive him? Absolutely. For you know, he quotes our God is a gracious God, and so he kind of had mold all those things over, and he said, yes, I can do this. I can tell them what they want want to hear, uh, but at the end of the day. I'm not going to be happy with myself. And I'm not going to be able to stand proud at the end of this thing and say, I, I stood the test of time. I had the resolve to resist. And, and uh, so ultimately, what ended up happening when he was released, that's what earned him his third Air Force Cross. So the first one was the oil field strike, the second one was going back and providing cover uh, for his wingman when he was shot down. And the third Air Force Cross was for essentially resisting the North Vietnamese and getting him yeah, to say and, and rena- denounce the United States of America. Um, and so there have been many, many days where I, uh, y- you know, you have a stressful day, whether it's work or something's rubbing you the wrong way. And you just sit back and you think, it's like, man, my worst day pales in absolute comparison to. The best day that he had for six and a half years, and so keeping things like that in perspective is a big part of that story. And 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 I I go back to it often, and I reread those chapters, and I kind of I, I I can't say I relive them, but I I kind of feel like going back and rereading those through the book. I just I have a little piece of of being a part of that story, and uh, sadly, I never got to never got to meet the colonel. He passed in two thousand fourteen um before I, I knew him or of his story, but I, I've gotten to know Martha. She's been out to see the memorial. Um he has three kids, uh Jim and Nanette, which are twins, and then Suzanne, who lives in Atlanta. Um I've I've spoken with them in one capacity or another, whether it's over the phone or in person. Um they've all been really cool. And, uh, when we try to tell the story and when we were trying to build the memorial, they were, they were all for it. So it's been really cool to, to kind of get to know them a little bit and kind of keep, keep the story alive and keep
1: it going. So how did, how did Castler wind up in Moments? Like how did, yeah. how did that come into to play it, after all of this? Cause obviously, He's born in South Bend, which is a good stretch from here. I mean, yeah. sure, it's not like it's a good two hours or so. Yeah, I think so. You know? I think it's yeah, and it's every bit of two I, hours. I haven't been to South Bend that that often. I've been to South Bend from here, but I'm if I remember correctly, it's two, two and a half hours. But yeah, how does how does he wind up in, in Moments after he gets, you know, released and or how how does he how did his his torture end? and get released so at that at that point um there was a
0: change in uh the president and the in the strategy of how they were going to end the war and i think uh lyndon b johnson uh was the one that uh kind of stepped in and changed the direction of that um but with the presidential change they were either a little more aggressive or, or the the means to the end of the war became became apparent and so the north vietnamese surrendered and i think that was in um I think that was in March of 1973. And so shortly after that um and I have I have a copy of the picture in here and it's one of the, like these incredibly compelling photographs. And it this is the one that's the original is at the Smithsonian in DC. It's this iconic image of this family running on the tarmac uh to this guy coming off of the plane and, and that's Kassler and his family. So there's um, a good chance. A lot of people have seen this. Ab- oh, photo. It, it, it absolutely. It's, it's been, it's a, a, every time they talk about POW, it's, it's used all over the place. Okay. So it's, it's, it's just really incredible photo. Um, and so that was, that was March of 1973 when they were kind of, they were all, reunited. And and you know, the interesting thing was, you know, even talking to Martha, because a lot of times people wondered how the families and the spouses got along while these guys were in prison, because that's a whole different dynamic of managing life. You think about six and a half years is a really long time.
1: Yeah. And well, and I mean, does does Martha do do they have correspondence yes. with their
0: family at all? Fortunately, because he was so well known.
1: They were like, okay, we'll give you that.
0: I, and I, I can't speak directly to if that was, they gave him that, like, we know who you are, so we'll let you communicate with your family. Um, I do know, and it's so difficult to not take all these little bunny trails because they're so... <laughs> be, and that's
1: fine. I, because, I like bunny trails. <laughs> be, because
0: how... So this is how Jim Castler met Denny Merrick, who is a longtime Kankakee attorney.
1: He did he meet him in at the POW camp? He, he
0: met him right here on this patio. Oh, okay. and and this Never. story gives me chills every time I tell it. It's it's insane. So, Danny Merrick, long time Kankakee guy, uh, he at a time in his life in his life worked for the CIA, and so this was years. I think this was a couple years after uh, Vietnam was over. Uh, I don't know the exact time frame, but the colonel built his house here in 1975. He bought the golf course outright in 1975. Prior to that, he owned part of it in the 60s, I think oh, early 60s. He owned, okay. so
1: he, had, he owned
0: part of it. He had a, a ownership share in it as as well as a, a golf course over in Bass Lake, Indiana.
1: Okay, so that's not too far. Right.
0: And so this was sometime after all of that. Danny Merrick was in the clubhouse over at South Shore Golf Course, right across the way over there, and he he sees these articles, Castler shot down, just kind of some uh, you know memorabilia or whatever, so, some history stuff from from the different wars, and he's looking at this, and he's like, "Man, he's like, what? I know this name," and and so he comes up, he he realizes who it is, and he he introduces himself to to the colonel at the clubhouse and the colonel just kind of, you know, said, Hey, and, and from what I could gather from people that knew him and and spent a lot of time with him, um, he didn't talk a whole lot about his experience. You know, he he didn't like to tell stories. He didn't, you know, he was not a braggadocious type guy and which I don't think a lot of veterans are. No, Uh, well, he probably didn't want to relive. Exactly. And I think that that. exactly. And so he didn't just didn't talk about it a whole lot. And so Denny Merrick was just, asking him a couple of questions and somehow or another, uh, within that afternoon or that day, the Colonel invited Denny Merrick over and they're sitting out here on the patio that we're on right now. And he's like, okay, shuts the door. And he's like, how do you know so much about me? And he said, I was a CIA officer, uh, in the late sixties and early seventies. I read every letter you wrote to Martha. As a prisoner of war. And so he had, he, he was part of the CIA's operation where they were intercepting mail and and reading those letters because they were trying to decode certain things that these guys were writing to give up clues. Yeah.
1: Right. Just like the Morris code with the eye thing in the video. Yeah.
0: And so they would, and, and Denny Merrick is another great guy to sit down with because he, he, they would say specific things like. Uh, can't wait to get home and have your cherry cobbler. And they would have to unpackage that because the wife would be like, I've never made cherry cobbler in my <laughs> life. Well, so, I mean, there there were a lot of these little things where they... The, it's like, th- what does that mean? Right. Yeah. And so just imagine, though, to be sitting here and, and this guy you, you think you've never met. Yeah. Random, you know, a golf course, you see this stuff, it clicks of who he is, and all of a sudden, like years back, this guy was imprisoned, tortured. You read all of his, his letters that he was sending to his wife. And I mean, those, at at that point, those guys hit it off and, and became very close. Um, So there's just, there are so many cool stories like that kind of interwoven throughout the story uh, of Castler, but you know, the air force cross thing, that's just like, the beginning of his decorations and medals. Yeah. So he, in addition to the three air force crosses, which no one else in history has just to kind of sum it up in one sentence, setting aside the medal of honor and the people that have received those Kassler is the 10th most decorated serviceman in United States history. So he has of all branches of all branches. So he has 76 awards for valor and service and I used, to have, I used to have all the big ones memorized. So, <laughs> But I know it was uh, a legion of merit, like uh, 11 air medals, nine distinguished flying crosses, I think two or three purple hearts. It just goes on and on and on. And it's, uh, again, spending time, you could go on Wikipedia, reading the citations of, of how those medals came about. It's just, it's mind boggling that, that someone... Uh, can go through, endure that much and have the resolve to come out, not only alive, but to come out and thrive in a community right after, you know, a full service and, and career in the military like that. And, you know, that's when, when he bought the golf course, um, he obviously owned the golf course. his his wife, Martha was a big part of that as well, but he came and he became involved with, uh, Merlin Carlock at municipal bank, um, They were just looking to expand their branches and kind of grow. And so Colonel Kassler was a big part of of the, I want to say at that time it might have been the Moments branch or um, there were a couple different branches that they opened, but he became uh, instrumental in the growth of Municipal Bank. And then he became involved in the Riverside Foundation, the Senior Living Board, the Financial Board. Uh, all these different little boards and and chair seats that he held, he was incredibly involved in, in his community. You know, post service and a, an incredible career when he could have easily been one of those guys. After he what what he went through and what so many had gone through, and even talking about your first episode with Eric and and what's what a lot of those guys struggle with. With um, it's so easy I feel like to feel insignificant and feel like not a lot of people are you know interested in your life post service right and so for him to kind of rise head and shoulders above all of that you know in spite of everything that he he had been through it's it's really an incredible it's
1: I guess it just goes back to that mindset that he put himself in and and when he was being tortured like that like my mindset would have been well I either tell them what they want to know or I'm gonna die, right? You know, like that's what most people would. That's right. Think, but he thought, no, I'm gonna get through this, and yep. that's just. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unreal. That's it's really unreal. I I feel like you you almost have to be so abnormal to think that way, but abnormal in a you know like yeah. in a good way. I'm obviously not in a bad way, but definitely you, an outlier yes, for sure. Yeah. Um,
0: and that's incredible. And there there's a part in his book where he talks about. Talks about the torture and withstanding torture, and and he said I, I would never in a million years uh look down or or have ill thoughts about someone who could not resist torture because he says everybody is is designed or, or built in a way that they have different thresholds of pain, and he said a lot of people just don't have thresholds of pain, and and I remember there was an interviewer that was asking him well what what's your threshold of pain, and he's like twelve out of ten, <laughs> you know it's one of those guys that just like you know, just the mental fortitude. It was just made of steel. Exactly. Even his and brain. That's right. And James, James Stockdale, who was there with him and he, he wrote the afterword in the book. Uh, he, he calls him like, he, he's basically an indestructible man. And so that's, you know, tempered steel is the name of, uh, of his book. So it's, uh, you know, and you just get story after story like that time and time again. One quick other one that's, that's really cool speaking to how well he was known in the late sixties. So when he was shot down August 8th of 1966, he was slated and I have the photograph inside and we can look at it. It was the release by North Vietnam after he had been shot down and they found out who he was. That was supposed to be the cover of time magazine. And coincidentally that same week, Uh, I think it was August 1st. So maybe six or five or six days before that was the Texas tower sniper in, uh, I forget what, uh, Texas, Texas university. So that kind of took all of the American headlines had that not happened. Then he would have been on the, the cover of time magazine in 1966. So those, those are the cool little things. Like every year, the more I read and kind of dig into the story, I find out like, all these cool
1: little, little things That's that just keep popping up. Yeah. That's unbelievable. I somehow knew you were going to tell me it was the, the Texas, um, shooting that yeah. took, that took over the, 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 uh, attention yep. of everyone. But the fact that he was going to be on the front of time right. and he settled here in moments of all places. Right. It's just interesting that I, 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 from his story, I didn't realize that he had already had owner, some ownership in the golf course here in the sixties, even before.
0: And I believe that was part, uh, with his bro, the brother-in-law, they had owned a course over in Bass Lake, Indiana. And then they had, uh, they had split ownership share for, for this course as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the, the entire backstory of that. Again, it's, it's in the book. It provides yeah. all those in great detail. Yeah, but yeah. that's essentially how he settled here. And what, what the interesting thing, thing was, you can look right out here and you can see there's this long stretch. And that was essentially fairway on a par five. So we're talking yeah. five 600 yards. Mm-hmm. He wanted to take that hole off of the golf course and make that a runway for his little private for a private airplane
1: oh, okay. i was gonna say like and, where where is there where's a runway like and you would uh, expect
0: you know and what's funny was you know he, he kind of brought the idea up and, and martha was like listen <laughs> i
1: uh, think you, 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 you have <laughs> not come
0: all this way and survived all these things you are not flying exactly to you know crash your your airplane in your backyard oh, so man that idea got, kinda kind of got wiped off of the board but um bummer yeah
1: but I, uh, that's a little that's understand i understand martha <laughs> that's yeah, fair fair game there i think i probably would have put my foot down too yeah <laughs> absolutely so i guess a good way to wrap up is as talking about the memorial sure because it is i mean you look on google it shows you right where it's at yeah it's uh so, so it's it's a public thing it, we absolutely we
0: love we encourage the public to come out we uh, You'd be surprised how many visitors we do get, Do you get? And, and quite people a few? just drive by and they see it and their their uh, their interest is peaked, and so mm-hmm. they either know about it or they don't know about it. One of the coolest things a couple weeks ago, I didn't even know this was a thing. There's this uh, something called Fox hunting. and it's it's like a radio thing. And these guys, it's the Kankakee area Radio Society Cars is the acronym, okay these guys get together and they have transmitters and transponders on their vehicles and they, someone hides and then through pinging the radio signals, they've got to go find where this guy is. It's called Fox hunting.
1: Wow. I've never heard of that either. (laughs) I had no
0: clue. It was a thing. So there's a guy sitting down in the Memorial parking lot last Uh week, maybe two weeks ago. Was he hiding? He had this big antenna and it looked like a, maybe a state trooper vehicle. Uh He had all these CB radios and he had this big map out he was looking around and I go down there and I'm, I'm just like kind of peculiar, you know, looking kind of thing. And I just like introduced myself. I said, Hey, you know, what, what are you up to? And he's like, Oh, I'm preparing for a fox hunt. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I like, I don't think there's that dogs? many. It was yeah. like, aren't, there's not that many foxes <laughs> out here. Or, so he, per- he proceeds to tell me what it is. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And he said, I'm planning where I'm going to hide. Mm-hmm. And so then I took that opportunity. I said, well, do you know where you are in the story? So I told the story, well, their hunt was that this was a Thursday, their hunt was on Saturday and they had like a dozen guys that a uh, couple hours, they all found him, but then they came up and they spent time at the Memorial. Okay. And again, getting to tell the story, getting to, to see, you know, some of those guys were older gentlemen, the emotional, uh, uh response that it elicits. And just by having com- people come out and experience that and tell the story. That's exactly why it's there. So it's uh, every every Memorial Day, we we put the flags. uh, We have a flag for every branch of the military that's on the walking bridge. And then I put a box of miniature flags out, totally free. Um, People can show up take a mini flag out and place it in the, in the Memorial in, in honor of someone that
1: was lost in, in service. Okay. So someone might be hearing this today they might show up today. Exactly. You know, since this is being put out on Memorial day. That's so. right.
0: So we, we do that every Memorial day. Uh, and then typically we like to do a service on veterans day in November. Okay. Um, and I'm working on something pretty cool for, for this veterans day this fall. Okay. Uh, if it comes together, it's going to be really awesome. Um, so that's going to be fun. And then we, we had the original dedication for it, veterans day of 2018. And we had like, I think just a little over a little over almost 200 people came out for that. That's so, pretty good. So it's, it's just, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, obviously we, we keep up the memorial, the property, uh, we just want to make sure that, uh, we're kind of like trustees of the, of the story and to keep the couple, the story of Jim and Martha Kassler, even though it's not no longer a golf course, we, we want to keep that history and that story alive. And, and that's, you know, what the memorial is there for. And to, and to remind all of us that there are these people in our midst that have endured these incredible things uh, that we might not always know about even in our own communities. I mean, these aren't, you know, there are the people that movies are made about and, and things like that, but there are oftentimes
1: people we had no clue they just have these incredible stories, and it's it's so cool. And well, thank you for inviting me to come out, and absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to. We're gonna he's gonna Seth is gonna show me around a little bit now. So absolutely, I'm excited to see all that. But yeah, thank you for uh, for keeping that going because someone else might have bought this place and they thought, oh, okay, that's cool. Whatever, yeah, whatever. You know,
0: yeah, well, my wife and you I know. talk about
1: that often, and <laughs> I mean it, that could have easily exactly. Happened, but the fact that you you know you really captured that in your mind and you're like, oh, well, we got to do something about this. And, and, uh, so, you know, thank you for, for doing that for like everyone in in the area. Cause you know, like I said, you could have easily just said, oh, okay, whatever. That's cool. Right. And then just leave it at that. Yeah. (laughs) So
0: it's, it's an absolute honor to live here and to be able to keep the story and tell it and be a small part of it for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, thank you You're again for your time, Thanks Seth. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Absolutely. That concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Special thank you once again to Seth Berkey for inviting me out to the Colonel's home, uh, or I should say former home, since Seth is now the official owner. But it was truly an honor and a privilege to learn more about Colonel Kassler. He just has such an amazing story. And don't forget that you can learn more about this story as well. The book Tempered Steel is all about Jim Castler, and I'm really looking forward to uh, diving into this book. It's in my hand right now as we speak. And uh, thank you again to Seth for giving me a copy of it. Uh, and on this mor- Memorial Day, let's remember to not only honor the fallen men and women who helped keep our country free today, but that's obviously something we should be doing every day. And I know I, I take that for granted and it's something i i need to change myself and remember that the reason why i'm able to do whatever it is that I, that i want to do like this podcast for example is because of all those men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice so let's remember those soldiers every single day, and not just on Memorial Day. Thank you for your love and support of Kankakee Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't listened to any of the others we've done so far, I encourage you to go back and listen to those as well. You can find them at kankakeepodcast.com or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You can keep uh, up-to-date on everything on our social media pages, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, at Kankakee Podcast. You can also sign up for our mailing list as well at kankakeepodcast.com. And our next guest uh, is going to be coming next Monday because we release a new episode every single Monday. It's going to be actually with one of my friends and co-workers, Mike Tamano, who's a radio personality here in the Kankakee area, currently known for doing uh, the morning show on the Valley, 92.7 FM. So we're going to hear Mike's story coming up on june 7th so that'll be the next time i get to uh spend time with you and uh thank you so much for all your love and support of the podcast so far it's been truly amazing and i hope you know how grateful i am for that so have a uh wonderful rest of the day or evening or (laughs) whatever time it is that you're listening to this podcast that's the the beauty of podcasting you can literally listen to this anytime you want take care
0: Thankful
1: for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't get back I know these rivers carry